Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. Hey, we're, uh, we're in the final two weeks of a series that we have called uh, Filled and Led. And as a refresher, this language not only comes from describing the life of Jesus uh, when he begins his ministry uh, to do the things that God does before him, but also throughout the book of Acts, this is the language uh, that describes the life of the disciples as they are filled with the Spirit of God and led by the Spirit of God to do the things of God that he has set before them. And we've used this language very strategically because this is also the language for the next three years that we want to focus on, that we want to be Jesus followers who are spirit-filled and spirit-led for those who don't have a home. And we've talked about in previous weeks that when the people of God are filled and they're led by the Spirit, then one of the fruits that naturally, organically happens is people are led towards Jesus. And in these last two weeks, I want to talk just briefly. We'll come back uh, to a different series to be able to talk about. But I want to talk a little bit about the Spirit's work in bringing people home. And what we mean by the phrase of bringing people home is we want every person to know that they can have relationship with God in Jesus Christ. And God wants to do this work through his church, through all of us who are here this morning. And as we walk through this, I want to turn us to a moment in the book of Acts. Uh, I'm actually going to be in Acts 15 this morning. And I want to work through three mentalities that the church works through when the Spirit is bringing people, new people, into God's home. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to actually turn to this in Acts 15. Uh, the book of Acts is the recording of what happens after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes down on the disciples and leads them. And in Acts 15, we're running into a moment with the disciples where they are trying to discern and figure out, okay, the gospel is on the move and how do we need to wrestle with how the spirit of god is welcoming people home three mentalities i want to cover this morning and the first one you're going to find in the very first two verses and i think the first two verses are not only surprising of chapter 15 but i also believe they're fundamentally comforting to god's people so you have these words, you uh, read them as I read. So uh, in Acts 15, people have come to Jesus. New people are being folded in. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers and sisters, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and with the elders. 
And Luke's going to take the next couple verses to be like, this conversation got so serious that they needed to bring everyone together with it. Here's the first mentality I want us to simply just sit with this morning when people are coming home with God. The first one is this, welcoming people home will be messy. It'll be absolutely messy. Uh, in the book of Acts, we talked about this on week one of the sermon. In chapter one, verse eight, Luke literally gives you a table of contents. They says, hey, this is where the whole story is moving through. The gospel first is going to start in Jerusalem. Then it's going to go to uh, another ring, a kind of outer layer of Judea and Samaria. And then he's going to go, the gospel is just going to keep going till the ends of the earth. And if you were to map out kind of where each of the chapters are placed, in one through seven, you've got people working it out at home. And then in chapters eight, all the way through 12, you've got the gospel is kind of stretching. It's going a little bit further. By the time you get to chapter 15, the gospel has gone extremely far to people who are very different than the people who are at home that it started with. The gospel has reached people who are far from home and people who are very different from the people who reside at the home in Jerusalem. In other words, the believers are extremely nervous of what is going on and who's accepting Jesus and how they're accepting Jesus. And you would think when you get to chapter 15 that the church is celebrating and collaborating that people are coming home. And Luke is very clear in chapter 2 or in chapter 15 to be like, look, more people are being welcomed into relationship with God and there is tension and there is disagreement and there are discussions that are having to happen here. Even the language of that word dissension that Luke uses, if you were to flip through the rest of the book of Acts, anytime Luke uses this word, He's not meaning it's a small tiff between God's people. He's saying this is like a full throat argument between God's people. If you were to turn to Acts 19 or you were to turn to Acts 23, you would actually find Luke uses this language in the midst of people who are outraged. People who are thinking about starting an uproar. And I find this to be an extremely comforting word. That when people are being welcomed home, God's people should expect for conversations and discussions to get messy. And it's not even a one-off instance. If you walk through the book of Acts, you actually find that every time there is a wave of new people that join the Jesus movement, there is some sort of upheaval, calamity, discussion, discernment that's needing to happen. In Acts 6, there's people who are overlooked that like leadership has to be rediscerned again. Over in Acts 8, you actually find that there's strained relationships of who is, uh, who is sharing and experiencing the gospel. Even in Acts 11, you find that one group of believers is criticizing another group of believers because the gospel is welcoming and reaching people it never has before. 
I find this to be extremely comforting because I think sometimes we start to think to ourselves, if there's tension or discussion or discernment, God's people, God's church must not be focusing on the work of God. And throughout the book of Acts, to have disagreement, to have discernment, to have discussions is part of what it means to welcome people home. And we cannot forget that that is part of our history. You know, I, um, I uh, had a grandmother that lived uh, in a uh, very small town, one stoplight uh, sort of town in Olney, Texas. And a couple, couple years ago before she passed, we uh, brought her uh, to what she called the big city. And uh, we brought her to the Austin area and uh, we hosted her for a weekend and she absolutely had a great time and she went back and uh, she told all of her friends about what it was like to be in the big city uh, that you and I live in every day. And uh, at one point, one of her friends uh, calls my mom and says, uh, you know, I was listening to your grandmother or your mom's history of, of coming to Austin. And I just want to say, I thought it was a really peculiar food choice to take her while she was in Austin. And my mom was like, well, what did she tell you? And she said, well, she said that y'all took her to Chuck E. Cheese while she was in Austin. And my mom said, we, no, we didn't take her to Chuck E. Cheese while we were here. So she calls up her mom and she's like, mom, where are you, you're telling people that we went to Chuck E. Cheese? And she's like, yeah. She goes, we can go to Chuck E. Cheese. And she's like, yeah, we did. We went to the place that, you know, it, it had cheese in the title. And mom goes, are you talking about Cheddar's? Because that's way different than Chuck E. Cheese. She had been recounting the history and telling people that she had gone to Chuck E. Cheese. And we sat her down and we explained to her, these are two way different things, okay? Cheddar's, Cheddar's is like a higher end Chili's, okay? And Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese is kind of like Las Vegas for children, okay? Grandma, you can't, you can't mix these things up. You know, for God's people, I think sometimes we remember the past incorrectly or we remember the past with rose-tinted glasses. Even our readings of Scripture, every once in a while, we need to be careful. We'll say things like, well, you know, if we could just get back to the good old days or if we could just get back to the early church, we got to remember these letters are written to groups of people who are working out what it means to welcome in the name of Jesus. I mean, we're talking, if you just flip through those epistles, those letters that are written, I mean, we're talking, there's jealousy, there's heresy being thrown around, people are in competition with each other, all sorts of things are happening with the Holy Spirit, and no, no one can be in agreement with it. I mean, good gracious, like there's a man that's sleeping with his stepmother. That's in 1 Corinthians 5, if you need uh, your Bible, Devo, this week. Sometimes we like to pretend like the past didn't have its own hangups. Like there was this age where everyone was on the same page and that the church never had any issues or struggles that they were working through. And one of the things Acts 15 brings us back to is it's saying, hey, if you're going to welcome people home who do not know God, we got to be comfortable with some messiness. And Jesus was comfortable with some messiness. And I'm not sure sometimes we're okay with that messiness. We have to be okay that people are going to walk through these doors 
and they're not going to use the language that we're fine with. They may have different political views than what a lot of us share. Can we hold that tension? They may come with stories that we don't resonate with whatsoever. They may have concerns about things that we're like, we've never really been concerned about that. I remember one of the first times I took one of my friends who didn't know Jesus to hang out with my friends who did know Jesus. And I remember just five minutes in being like, oh no, this was a terrible idea. They're using language that none of my Jesus friends use, telling stories that they wouldn't be caught dead with. And I remember in that moment, learning, oh, there's a code here. Oh, I broke a rule because I invited someone who doesn't know the stories and how we're supposed to interact with one another. I remember getting the side eye from my friends being like, oh, so this is who you hang out with. We should not do that with each other. We should welcome in the messiness because Jesus welcomes in our messiness as well. And we have to be prepared that sometimes it will create discussions. It will create disagreements. And that's part of hosting a home here. So that's the first one that I want us to hear is that welcoming people home will be messy. And if we are going to welcome messiness in our home, then we have to hold on to something. And it's the same thing that the believers are trying to hold on to in Acts 15. And it's basically the second mentality. We welcome people to God's story, not our story. We welcome people to God's story, not our story. Now, in Acts 15, verse 5, we do need to understand the full story and context of what is being at disagreement-wise with everything. And if you look with me in verse 5, you find kind of the core uh, concern that comes from this, that there were some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees who stood up and they said, hey, it is necessary for those who are coming to Jesus to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. In other words, there is a concern from a group, from a sect, from a circle of people who grew up around a pharisaical circle and they are nervous about what is happening through the jesus movement now i want to advise us when we hear about the pharisees we need to think about them cautiously and historically that sometimes we kind of think about the pharisees like they are this flat character inside a story instead of a group of people who were deeply devoted to what God was doing in the world. Uh, if you've ever seen uh, the uh, uh, progressive commercials with Dr. Rick, uh, there is a slogan that he always says in the commercials. He goes, don't be like your parents. And I feel like sometimes when we read the Bible, we read the Pharisees just like, uh, don't be like your parents. We read it like, don't be like a Pharisee. And I think sometimes what we need to do is we need to back up a little bit and we need to remember that actually Pharisees, they knew the story of God. People didn't walk around and they were like, well, don't be like a Pharisee. In reality, most people couldn't be like a Pharisee. They were some of the most devout and devout people of 
God. Even when God's people were exiled at one point, when there was no temple, there was no place for people to go, where do I go for the presence of God? It was actually the Pharisees who were the ones who were like, we as the people will help host, bridge the gap for people to come home to God, even though we don't have a home right now. They were the keepers of God's covenant. And when you hear that there was a group of people that were like, uh, what about circumcision? Circumcision was the marking of a male body as a way of marking that they were God's people. They're like, hey, God's covenant has always been marked through circumcision. So they need to go through circumcision, right? And then they can be a part of the Jesus movement. And I love how like thinkers like N.T. Wright uh, kind of help like shift our perspective on this. He uses an analogy uh, for you to kind of sit in the seat of what it would be like to be in a uh, Pharisee kind of sect and mentality. He says, think of it like this way. Think of it like you are, uh, you're a part of a uh, legendary kind of like quartet, okay, like a string quartet. And you are, you are a cellist. Okay, if you don't know what a cellist is, I'll get you get you a picture. Okay, you're a cellist, all right, and uh, you're not just any cellist. You're a cellist that's from Germany, and you're not just from Germany. You have learned how to play this instrument beautifully. You have had teachers that have gone all the way, 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 way back to people even like Beethoven, people who understood the history and the quality people like mozart you've studied this thing you've practiced all your life to be a cellist in this quartet you are a part of one of the most elite groups you don't play games with this you've made your life about this you've sacrificed your weekends you've made everything about this you know what the music is about and then at the peak of your career, a new violinist steps into your quartet. They're young, they have less experience than you, and they have all sorts of new ideas for your quartet. They know a radio station that can stretch the music and have a greater reach. All you're gonna need to do is you need to adjust the sound just a little bit and you'll be playing for different places than what you're used to. You will be dressing differently than you used to, and you will be playing for crowds that are very different than how you used to be. And you wrestle, because you know in your bones what this life has looked like up till now. And N.T. Wright says, that's a little bit of what's happening for someone who has lived with God's story. Pharisees were not against Gentiles. They grew up knowing the scriptures. They wanted people to come to God. They just wanted people to come to God through going through their story first and then entering the Jesus story. They knew that God cared about everyone. They just cared about them entering their story of how God was using them then so they could enter into the story of Jesus. And here we find that the church has to wrestle with what story has to stay at the center of our lives. And it has to be 
verse 11, that we will be saved through the grace of Jesus Christ just as they will, period. In essence, they do not have to go through the Jewish practices and the Jewish story, become Jewish, to be able to enter into the Jesus story. People are always tempted when they come to God to think people have to come to God the exact same way my story is in coming to God. And one of the most beautiful things about Jesus is that Jesus moves us off of our story and moves us to his story being the center. You may be here this morning at church and you may be like, I don't know if Jesus' story is for me. If you knew my story, then you may say, I'm not sure that this can be my story. And here's the best news about God. Your story is not the precedent for what will bring acceptance from God, forgiveness from God, or save you. It is the story of Jesus that God accepts you, forgives you, and saves you. And we have to listen to that story all over again and again and again because we will make the story about something else than Jesus. And just watch so closely as they're trying to discern and they're like, man, we're like, are we going to, is Jesus going to be the main story here? Is he the one that salvation comes through? Not all these other actions. You have the church listening to what the Spirit of God is doing, and you also have the church listening to the Scriptures. I mean, notice, when Peter stands up to address the crowd, he does not say, hey, here's my personal opinion. Hey, here's my preference. Here's what my read is. No, no, no. When Peter comes and stands up, he says, my brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you. That should be one of him through the uh, Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And then watch the verbs there with God. And God, who knows, who testifies, who is giving, who is cleansing, who has made no distinction between them and us. In essence, Peter's not just throwing in his personal thoughts. He's saying, here's what the Spirit of God is doing. The Spirit of God is leading people to Jesus. And we need to get on the train of that story. And it's not just experience that the church leans on. The church also looks to the scriptures. I mean, James, literally, when discerning this, he goes, this agrees with the words of the prophets. In essence, this agrees with the trajectory of the scriptures. That God's people, when we think about people coming to Jesus, we think about what is the spirit doing right now? And we also think about what is the trajectory of the scriptures. They're pointing to the mission of God. You know, sometimes when we think about the story of Jesus, I think we frame it. And I understand why we do this in the beginning. We frame it as this is a story of destination. That there's some things that we think of that we think you should think these things about Jesus. You should believe these things about Jesus. And if you claim those things about Jesus, then you will one day when you die, you will reach the destination of heaven. That's where you want to go. And none of any of the things that I just said is not true. But it's a very incomplete story. Like if you think of the trajectory of scripture, 
Jesus is the completion of God's mission. And he's filling us to now fulfill this mission. Ever since the beginning of Genesis, when Adam and Eve eat of the tree that they're never supposed to, God cares about the lost. He comes to Abraham. He comes to a guy and he says, hey, humanity is lost. They've left Eden and I want them to come back. So through your family, I'm going to bless every family that they're going to get to know me. And over and over again in the scriptures, God's people are being called and they immediately fall right after. Even when they're like, you know what? Let's put this on one person. Give us a king. I think a king can work it out. King can't even work it out. It actually gets them exiled as a nation. Jesus steps onto the scene. He says, I'll fulfill the mission. I'll live what Israel couldn't. I'll do what God's people couldn't. And then by my spirit, I will fill them and help them show the trajectory of how I will make things right one day. So that's why when we are hospitable, when we are participating in healing initiatives for people, it's extremely important because we're participating in the mission of God. When we help with physical healing and when we help with hospitality, we are pointing to a spiritual reality that is available to people. It points to the story that God is welcoming people in Jesus Christ. That's the mission that we are on. God's story, not our story. And that leads James at the very end to just make such a bold statement. And this is kind of the last mentality I want us to wrestle through. Here's what James says at the end of it. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, we should not trouble those who do not know God and they want to know God. This is the most complicated way I probably could have written this sentence. There's probably an easier way for me to say it, but here's, here's what I got for you because it's Sunday. We don't cause trouble, but we trouble ourselves to welcome people home. Someone say to you before, like, oh, you, you just went out of your way. Oh, you didn't need to go to all that trouble. That should be our number one mode of operation as a church towards people who don't know Jesus. And I do want to just point out in the text, like the latter half of this is the church working out and being like, it's not inclusion for inclusion's sake. The church is just saying, we need to remove as many obstacles as possible. Because look, these people coming to Jesus, it's going to cause trouble in their life. And we, as the people who are at home with God, should not be adding trouble to their lives. They're going to have enough trouble coming home to God as themselves. You know, it's like what Bonhoeffer said. Like, God will take us no matter where we are. But God loves us too much to leave us where we are. And as we walk with people who the Lord is moving, we need to make sure that we're just not causing trouble for them or causing obstacles for them so they can come home. And to do that, we have to listen very closely to the narratives that we tell ourselves. And make sure, are we focused on the right story? 
All right, so here's one. Here's one. I can walk down these hall assembly, and uh, I can think to myself when, uh, when doing different things. I've, I've said this at multiple times at different churches at different times. I'll be serving or I'll be doing something, and I'll immediately think to myself, you know what? I've done my time at this place. It's time someone else steps up. I'm going to step out of this role, and someone else is going to fill this role. I've done my time. And every time I think of that way, first of all, I ask myself the question, do you know who says the phrase, I've done my time? People who have experienced prison. This isn't a prison. This is a home. And then second, I got to check myself. And I've got to ask myself, am I making life all about my story? Or am I making my life about God's story? Because even the smallest things that we do week in and week out here, they help contribute to someone finding a home here. You know, maybe we don't say it enough. If you've been teaching Bible classes year after year, if you're in children's environments year after year, thank you. Thank you. Because we need consistency for people to know that they can come home. Thank you for doing it. And another thing that I would just say as a staff member as we're starting this vision is, hey, we need you not to bail out on what you're already committed to doing. Because we're trying to do new things. You know, I had this beautiful moment as I was walking through the church this last week. I was walking through, I was just listening to the voices as I was walking down hallways. And I remember walking through last Sunday, and I just heard voices of people who they have just faithfully, year after year after year, have been a welcoming presence for people. Faithfully, without thank you. You know, and Wednesday night, I walked through the building and I saw some of the people who are most recent at being at this church, less than two years. And they're helping with some of the initiatives that were brand new and starting in this church. And I say that to just say, it takes all of us to welcome people home. If you're just, you're like, okay, all right, so just give it to me, Zane. What are we trying to say, like, back behind this? I'm just trying to say, we need you to be consistent. We need you to be here. I know that there's times where life is demanding, and life is just going to make it to where maybe church once, once, once a month is, like, just going to happen in certain circumstances. But outside of those crisis events, we need you here. We need you getting to know the people who are wanting to get to know God. I think the other thing is what, we need encouraging like, we need to encourage each other. We need to have our head on a swivel. If we see people who we haven't seen before, we need to keep leaning into the culture that we've started of just encouraging people like, hey, I'm really glad you're here. Tell me a little bit about your story. And we need to be okay with being inconvenienced for people who don't know God. We got to be okay with that. I know every once in a while we're all susceptible to side comments. We're complaining. I just want to remind us, every time you make a side comment or every time you complain about something, it drains a little bit of the energy out of what God may be calling us to do. We've got to remember this story isn't about us. It's God's story. And if you want to live into God's story, you need to start making your story about someone else's story. Because that's what's truly going to matter at the end of this.
You know, I was absolutely captivated by uh, the story of uh, Louis Pasteur. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was the doctor in the 1800s who was well, well-known scientist, decorated, honored, had everything that he would desire in life. And he was currently working on the cure for rabies. And if you read through his story, it's the most compelling story ever. Had already reached all these milestones in his life. But at the time in which he lived, if someone got bit, someone got rabies, they were a goner. They would die. And at one point, as he was working on this, he had a mother come to him who her seven-year-old son had been bitten by a dog, which at that point in society was a death sentence. And this mother came to him and said, I need you to help him live. And even in the biography, he goes, I don't I haven't figured out the cure. She goes, I need you to try it. And he spends time, night after night after night, working on it. And finally, he just decides, I'm going to give the kid the shot, even though I don't know if it's going to work. And for the first time in history, little Joseph survives, and the cure for rabies is found. And I don't even think that's the best part of the story. I think the best part of the story is actually at the end of the doctor's life. When he was asked, what words do you want to put on your tombstone? He said, I want three words. He said, I want the words, Joseph, miser, lift. And that's all I want on it. Isn't that what we want our story to be at the end of our lives? You're going to wake up tomorrow and society is going to come at you really fast and it's going to want you to respond to emails. You're going to need to get task A, B, C done. You got to cook. You got to prepare. You got to take care of the kids. Don't we want to make sure that we make our lives about someone else living and finding life? Because at the end of it, that's what we're going to remember. Not the car, not the promotion. We're going to remember who did we help welcome to the Lord. That's a prayer for us. He's making a way for us. So let me pray. So God, uh, in this next song, can you help settle our hearts? Maybe for some of us, we actually have never welcomed you into our lives, and we need to come home. God, for some of us, Maybe we've caused trouble for people. Maybe we've been distracted. And we've moved off of your story being the primary story. Or God, maybe for some of us as we sing this next song, we need to be reminded of who you have placed in our lives that does not know God. And we need encouragement of how to welcome them. May you do that work, Spirit, in your name. Amen.